When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We are sliding into full-on off-season mode tonight as we look back at the most significant Celtics moments since the massive Brooklyn trade that happened almost exactly 10 years ago. Alongside me, as always, it's Wayne Spoonie. Spoonie, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, Ben. If you're watching on YouTube, I am hatted. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, bouncing around the idea if like I should become the hat guy of the podcast, but really it's just because I golfed and my hair looks absolutely, looks like I got electrocuted basically. Yeah. Almost six years of doing the pod. We've never had a hat guy. Yeah. So I, I for one, welcome our new hat overlord. So welcome, yeah. Spoonie. <laughs> so look, this is the way this is going to work. We're taking turns and we're going to rattle these off in order of reverse importance. So the idea is that hopefully we end, we culminate with the most major, shit-hot, important Celtics event in the last 10 years. But unlike Pokemon, we're not going to catch them all. So we're going to need you in the comments. Let us know what we've missed because there's going to be plenty of time, I think we're safe to say, uh, to circle back on this throughout the off-season, the very long off-season. Before we get started, a quick recap of the Brooklyn trade, which is sort of like the pre-starting point of mm-hmm. uh, for our launching point here. So the Brooklyn trade, basically 10 years ago, happened in the summer of 2013 in July there. KG, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry, who I, I believe not long before that had, um, had a Celtics tattoo uh, put on his calf muscle there. I don't know if it's still there. You can get that stuff removed pretty easily nowadays. Uh, that, those guys shipped out for Gerald Wallace, Chris Humphreys, you're going to have to help me with this one, Spoonie. Tor- Tornike Shengilia, Reggie I, Evans. Yeah. That name does not ring a bell at all yeah. as being part of that trade, dude. <laughs> I, I had to cross-reference that to make sure that I wasn't being trolled by The Athletic or wherever <laughs> I pulled this information from. Uh, Keith Bogans, who I think like played Summer League that year as an older, older gentleman. Chris Joseph, uh, unprotected firsts in 2014, 2016, and 2018, and a pick swap in the 2017 draft. Spoonie, before we get to it, I, I'll quiz you. Who did the Celtics draft which, with each of those Brooklyn picks? And I think the Jays, like we can scratch those. We know what picks they used to, to draft the Jays. Do you have any idea at all? I, James I Young. Yes, in 2014. Cue the Bill Simmons fist pump. Um, so a swap... Um... Was Rozier one? He was not. Okay. Um, so James Young, the Jays, and we traded one of them. So I'm missing one. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just run through it chronologically because it's, it's a crazy mouthful. So yeah, 2016, Jalen Brown, and then Yabu at 16. Oh, Yabu. With, yeah. That was with the Dallas pick acquired in the Rondo trade. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> and then Ante Zizic at 23 with her own pick. 2017, 
Tatum. The Nets drafted Kyle Kuzma with the swap, who was then traded to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov. Then 2018, the Cavs drafted Colin Sexton with that uh, Brooklyn pick that was acquired in the trade uh, with that you know trade centered around Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving. And then the Celtics drafted Robert Williams at 27 with their own pick. So a real pick... Uh, mishmash there. Those are the Ainge, peak Ainge days right there, man. Taking three, yeah. four picks a draft. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Just a, a crazy uh, intertwined network of, of picks and trades that happened as a result <laughs> of the, the Brooklyn trade there. So, Spoonie, I'm going to allow you to kick things off, and we're just okay. going to start with the, the smaller, finer points and, and work our way up to um, some of the more significant moments that happened in the last 10 years. So what do you got for us? It was very difficult for me to not just like almost go in like order kind of of the how the events unfolded but this one is a throwback i think it's what really kicked off like this new era of winning basketball and it's the isaiah thomas trade not for Kyrie. when we acquired isaiah thomas and danny Ainge was like i got my guy and everyone's like what what is he talking about and then it bursts on the scene man gets thrown out of his first game i think against the lakers um tore it up averaged like 20 a game coming off the bench and i that team was well below under 500. And then when IT came on, we ripped off a 14 and seven run into the playoffs before promptly yeah. getting obliterated by LeBron and the Cavs. But still, <laughs> that was like, oh, are the Celtics kind of back? Are we fun again? This is great. Um, so I remember that's why I joined Reddit when we made that trade and started playing so well, because I just needed to talk about it with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I believe it was for, was it Marcus Thornton and a second round pick? Yeah. Uh, crazy. For Isaiah Thomas. And yeah, like we always talk about at the end of each season and going into each season on this podcast, like it's all everything. The enjoyment is relative to expectations expectations and acquiring Isaiah Thomas for essentially nothing, you know, um, not to shit on Marcus Thornton and whoever was acquired <laughs> with a second round pick, but it was basically nothing. And then to make the playoffs after like almost certainly being basically a tanking team led by, you know, Marcus Smart and Jeff Green and Kelly Olynyk, um, huge, a lot of fun. I, I'd had way, way later in my sheet of importance, like just Isaiah Thomas in general. Fair. We'll get to more Isaiah Thomas stuff. Um, but that's huge. Mine is uh, far less important. I obviously started way, way down the totem pole of importance than you. I've just got uh, eliminating Philly many, many times mm. in the playoffs uh, throughout the last few years. And I'll start with it, actually pre-trade. Okay, so 2020-12, the Celtics uh, win in Game 7 there. Then uh, 2018, the Celtics win in five games, uh, again, eliminating Philly in the second round. It was also the second round in 2012, in case you were wondering. Um, 2020, the bubble sweep, first round. Yes, they mm-hmm. were missing Ben Simmons, but they did have Al Horford. He did have that moment where he like dunked and like screamed into the camera, and I was like, oh no, the Al Horford situation is going to come <laughs> back to bite us. Uh, it did not. We swept nope. them in the bubble. And then 2023, second round, seven games, Tatum explosion, end of game. Game six, feeding into his 50-burger uh, as the Celtics win in Game 7. Just eliminating Philly. You know, the schadenfreude report is such a huge part of this podcast. The hatred towards Philly uh, is kind of like the the underlying soul uh, and life force of this podcast, at least from, from my perspective. And so to have successfully eliminated them so many times in the playoffs um, since the Brooklyn trade and, and never... Um, being eliminated by them, I don't believe, um, is is very satisfying. So I think that's an important part of the culture. It's an important part of the team, and it's it's worth uh, highlighting in this in this podcast. 
Yeah, that's a 2012 series. I remember being kind of terrifying, though, because I think they sort of had us on the ropes. But I'm pretty sure the last time Philly beat us in the playoffs was like 1981 or something crazy like that. (laughs) It has been that long. Yeah, yeah, man, like it's great. It just feels good to own Philadelphia, especially with all the buzz and how Embiid's really a media darling. Um, Mm -hmm. And Tatum, I think, is getting underrated at this point with how some people talk about him, at least media wise. I think like all NBA voting, absolutely not underrated in that sense. But um, so, yeah, it's just the best. I hate that city, man. <laughs> yeah. Everything about them. Yeah. Sports teams, <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, Who have you got next? I've got. So, OK, I don't know how we define importance here. So I'm just kind of. It's very what, loose. Yeah. Yeah. Like what felt <laughs> like. Either if it's a moment, it's a moment that like signified something larger, like encapsulated, right? So I've got 2018 game seven, Tatum dunking on LeBron as a rookie um, because it just felt like, and we'll get, I I mean, I have also have the playoff run a little later, but um, you know, he, it was sort of a cap off to what was an absurd run with two stars injured Kyrie and Hayward um, you know, these two young, the Jays are dragging us through the playoffs that, and Terry Rozier and, you know, we're down four. And then in the fourth quarter, we can't buy a bucket and Tatum just bangs it on LeBron and chest bumps him to pull within two. So, man, I wanted to win that game. It sucks. We did <laughs> not. But that is like an iconic moment um, that we will see for the rest of Tatum's career. You know what I mean? That'll be in like the Hall of Fame montage. Yeah, I've got the clip here. I think in multiple languages, too. Let's check it out. Yeah. With 67 points with 6.45 remaining. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. It's so much more emphatic in other languages. <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to Mike Breen, though. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome moment. I think not defining significant or important or whatever the sort of the hanging word or theme for this podcast is, is kind of good because it kind of, as we go through it, we can sort of determine, you know, what's important to each of us as individual uh, Celtics fans. So I, uh, I did have the dunk on LeBron, uh, again, way further down my list. So zooming out quite a lot. <laughs> November 9, 2013, I've got the Jeff Green uh, buzzer beater. So it also uh, involves LeBron James uh, on the heat there. Let's check it out. Eric Spolster subbing in. Chalmers now for Battier. He goes small. You'd be surprised taking Battier out of the game, but he wants a small guy on A.G. Bradley. Anderson, the big guy on the inbounds pass. Wallace looking, looking. Loops it into Jeff Green. Gets a shot off. So first of all, vintage Mike Gorman all call. All time Gorman yeah. call. All time. Ama- amazing lob pass over like yeah. the world by Gerald Wallace. And then just maybe the first glimmer of hope, success, something in this like early Brad Stevens career, post-Brooklyn trade, where all of our hopes and dreams are shipped off to Brooklyn to, to fight another battle elsewhere. And then suddenly we're going against the Heatles and Gerald Wallace is throwing an insane pass to Jeff Green, who was acquired controversially, you know, a couple of years back, shipping out Kendrick Perkins yep. to hit a game winner over an outstretched arm of LeBron James. Like, incredible moment and like set the tone, I think, 
for Brad Stevens exceeding expectations with like subpar rosters. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, not on this one I have, but on the next one. Uh, so I've got Derek White's tip in at the buzzer game Ooh, seven. Um, okay. And I, I think it's sort of or game six, rather. Um, I think it sort of feels less important because we didn't end up winning that series. But the fact that we almost crawled back after being down 0-3, it is truly one of the craziest buzzer beaters in NBA history. I mean, mm-hmm. to get a tip like that after coughing up the lead, basically ending your season, and then Derek White swoops in out of nowhere. Um it was just an awesome moment. You know, sometimes you just got to enjoy like, wow, that was really, really damn cool what I just watched. And, you know, it would have been great if we had won game seven. It obviously mean a hell of a lot more if we did. But I, it just felt like Derek White rules. And I'm so glad he's locked <laughs> up long term because I think as this goes on, that will become more and more important because I think Derek White, we just traded Marcus Smart. And I think because we believe in Derek White so much. So I just, just it was super fun, man. It was just really cool. Yeah, I, I didn't put that on my list yeah, only because fair. like I can't go back and watch it yet. And we talked about it when it happened. We better win fucking game seven because if yeah. we don't, it's going to be like buried in um in. Uh, I don't know what you call it, like the uh, uh, my brain is failing me in this moment. Um, <laughs> limbo, limbo. Limbo, there we go. Yeah, highlight limbo. Jeez. Uh, it's early here in Australia, and uh, I may have been up all night monitoring rain weather patterns in Manchester, England, as I wanted to ensure <laughs> that Australia won the Ashes by default after that match was rained out. So uh, apologies. Yeah, the Derek White buzzer beater, uh, huge and absolutely um, like one of the most insane buzzer beaters ever. And oh, yeah. uh, like, check out Jake Eisenberg's uh, Twitter if you haven't already, there's this clip of him like running out into like the hills of rural Tasmania right after it happened, recording his uh, reaction to the play. It's very, very good. Uh, my next most important, this is more like culturally, like for the culture mm-hmm. of uh, of the Celtics is this guy, Scary, Scary Terry. Terry. Uh, again, all about expectations and the fact that, you know, we had Gordon Hayward out injured. We had Kyrie Irving out injured and this early iteration of the hospital Celtics uh, steps up and scary Terry. I do have some clips here that I should run. Here we go. Um, Just stepped up and absolutely took it to, I think uh, Eric Bledsoe may be rated as a better point guard going into this series and and partially because scary Terry Rogier uh, was yet to sort of prove himself uh, just due to a lack of role and lack of minutes to that point in his career. And he absolutely stepped up. If you, if you're listening to this later, we're watching some of the highlights of that game one against the Bucks, where he just absolutely tortured Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> then in the post game interview refers to him as drew Bledsoe, <laughs> yeah. uh, which we laid alone was sort of like mistakenly and, and just sort of an absent minded comment, but um, amazing diss at the time and uh, a lot of fun. So scary Terry, I've got the t-shirt somewhere in my wardrobe, um, culturally as a Celtics fan and again just with the expectations not being a championship at that point uh, it was a lot of fun yeah absolutely I Terry was like uniquely exciting in how he played basketball like those crazy overhand crossovers like pretty explosive to the rim and he runs really hot and cold with the uh with the jump shot but when it's hot man he hits absolutely everything and like he undressed blood so 
Bloodso yeah. was out of his shoes, man. Like he literally <laughs> didn't even bother contesting because he got stepped back so hard. He just stood there at the foul line, like, please miss this shot, Terry Rozier. And yeah. he did not. And then I think we had Drew Bloodso in the building for the next we game did. at home, too. Yeah. So that was a nice <laughs> little cherry on top as well. <laughs> oh, so good. All right. What do you got next? We're going to rust through some of these. Okay. I said we'll address Brad Stevens being amazing probably several times throughout this but this in my opinion is brad stevens crowning achievement as a coach truly one of the most difficult things a coach could possibly do jordan crawford winning player of the week oh i had this next Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh so good like the Same way more. yeah the way you can come in as a rookie coach and just figure out like this dude who kind of been cast aside. Nobody really wanted him. He ends up on this team of misfit toys. That is that Celtics team. And he plays really, really well and never played that well again, his entire career. I think we traded him <laughs> for two seconds to the warriors and he was out of the NBA in like a year and a half. And I don't yeah. think he got injured. He was just Jordan Crawford. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I truly like I'm kind of joking that it's his crowning achievement as a coach, but it was legitimately impressive the way he came in from day one with that horrible team and got them playing really like attractive and fun basketball and defending. Uh, Cause that team had a actually a pretty decent defense. So I did. And that was just like, what is going on right now? This is kind of cool. You know, I remember it so well. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, Jackson on this podcast, he hangs his hat on, on Jordan Crawford, uh, player of the week, 2013, <laughs> still to this day. Uh, some other notable players of the week slash month slash midseason awards for the Celtics. So we had Jordan Crawford, December 9, 2013. Jared Selinger, February 10, 2014, also got player of the week under Brad Stevens. That's maybe another deep offseason, like deep cut pod. He's like yeah. all the players who peaked un- unexpectedly uh, under under Brad Stevens because there's a pretty long list there. Marcus Smart, rookie of the month in February 2015. And then Derek White, player of the week. Uh, February 2023. So a pretty dry eight years there. But we did have, you know, <laughs> we did have rookies of the year and stuff like yeah. that with the Jays coming in. But that's uh, that's to be expected. All right. Next one I've got is the Kemba Walker. When signing. free agency opens on Sunday night, the Celtics have emerged as a strong front runner to sign Kemba Walker from the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Boston can continue to clear some cap space. They could renounce Terry Rozier, uh, create uh, a number that gets up to Kemba Walker's max. But right now, uh, Boston and Kemba Walker are focused on each other, and, and there's a very strong possibility that Kemba Walker will replace Kyrie Irving. First of all, thanks to Nathaniel Cranshaw for keeping us abreast of the Red Sox score uh, live in the chat here on the live stream. Uh, thanks, Nathaniel. So the Campbell Walker signing, a couple of things. Like Obviously, like if you look back on it now, it was kind of like a bridging the gap situation. And I think that's a good thing now in hindsight. So we moved on from the Kyrie Irving toxic situation. Campbell Walker, ear-to-ear smile all vibes comes in as the the jays are in there so the rookie rookie hood for lack of a better term is like yeah. infancy and then the next couple of years is like nba ascendance adolescence and to have a mentor like kemba walker 
in your ear around at that time, I think is perfect for your growth and development as a person, as a professional, as a basketball player. And I think we have that to be thankful for, for Canberra. Obviously, championships weren't won, although we did have good moments. But I just think as far as the Jays' development, I think that's the focal point for the value that, that Kemba Walker brought. And think about where we were. Kyrie left. Al Horford left. It was dark, man. We were like, oh my God, are we going to have to rebuild now with both of these guys out the door and Gordon Hayward on one leg? Like what is about to happen? And then Kemba comes in. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Ben. I had this one a little bit further down, but pretty close. Um, Like the Jays were not ready yet, but Kemba was like the mentor that brought them up to speed on what it means to be like an NBA star. And I, I'm not sure they're this type of player without Kemba and Kemba getting them into the deep into the playoffs and Kemba just kind of absorbing all the pressure early on and letting those two grow because they both exploded that year with Kemba. I mean, Tatum had a pretty bad sophomore season. I mean, it was 16 points, pretty inefficient. Like his career could have gone a different way. And Jalen was really I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere, but he was not. Nobody thought he was going to be like where he's at now. And then Kemba comes in. They both average over 20 points a game. And it, it's like the proof of concept. You needed yeah. to surround them with talent. It's like, okay, do can we build around these guys? And you can't figure that out if you're winning 30 games. And Kemba allowed us to figure it out. And everything's kind of flown, uh, flowed from there. Yeah, you say Kemba allowed us to figure out like he he was quite graceful in like he obviously became more and more injured and more hampered by his knee injury as his Celtics career progressed. And he was very graceful in turning the keys over to the Jays and allowing them to run more of the offense rather than it becoming a thing like you can think Mm -hmm. of certain other point guards like the one that Kemba replaced (laughs) who would have an ego such that they wouldn't gracefully or in any way allow that to happen as well so um you know a huge uh tip of the cap to to Kemba Walker and his character and who he was as a person and just little things like Grant Williams living with with Kemba Walker uh (laughs) during the pandemic pre-bubble uh stuff like that I thought that was all pretty good so um fond memories of Kemba Walker what have you got next for us Spoonie um so the Derek White trade Ooh. So we were not very good, right? (laughs) Two years ago in the first half of the season. And then we start to turn it around and Brad's like, I got to add to this team because there was some question of like, should we just sell punt this year tank? Who knows? I mean, there was a lot of ideas floating around when we were three games under 500 in January, Uh, but they had that little mini run heading into the trade deadline. And then Brad brings in Derek white, the defense, completely takes off with the additional white and it leads to a finals run. And I don't think they would, you know, Derek white had an up and down playoffs and that might be putting it nicely, but they, they don't make the finals without him. I mean, he still had plenty of important moments and important games in that run. And um, he's under a really, really cheap contract for two more years after this one, I believe. Um, So I just think that was a home run trade and was the, exact type of player the Jays need around them now that they have ascended to that star status. 
Yeah, I had this in my honorable mentions, but it, it's definitely worth um, bringing up just because it, you know, if you look back at like turning points and there's a few notable ones, some that we've already gotten to and, and some are yet to get to the Derek White trade. And, you know, this term has been used so many times already, but just the addition of that connective tissue and mm-hmm. the fact now that the, the evolution is like he's about to go into this upcoming season as our starting point guard. Clearly, he emerged between Brogdon, Smart and himself as the the, the better point guard of that rotation. So the fact that we acquired him for uh, so very little and now he's going to be playing such a, a crucial role. He tipped in that game winner that we mentioned a, a few spots ago, Spoonie, like he's been incredible for the team. And we also talked about when Smart and Grant Williams were shipped out recently, like who's in our top three, five list of players that are most fun to cheer for. And Derek White with like leading the league or coming close to it in charge is taken, being all defensive second team, being a hustle guy. Like he's at the top of, I think, a lot of people's lists as far as like who's just like fun to cheer for, who carries the the torch mm-hmm. for Marcus as far as like Celtics culture and things like that. We're looking forward to his newfound uh aerodynamicism is that a is that a word uh having sure. a ball recently <laughs> um so a lot to love about Derek white and kind of been easy to pull the trigger on that trade for brad stevens so um real quick before we move on how are you going to look at jake in the eyes leaving off the Derek white trade from your list ben oh. he's going to be so mad at you i mean i'll send him my run sheet it's there yeah. it's it's there in in small italics the bottom of my list if we had time we're going to get to honorable mentions and uh it was there so um anyway maybe we can just cut all this out and uh he'll be none the wiser hopefully he's not watching i believe jake is somewhere in albania at the moment so shout out to jake who will be back uh at the end of this month on the pod all right um sticking with trades i've got the Rondo trade, which mm. can't have been easy to pull the trigger on. I believe when we shipped out KG, KG Paul Pierce, and uh, Jason Terry, the the move was to build around Rondo, who to that point, you know, he had recently torn his ACL, but he had shown himself at least as far as like how the NBA game was played in those days to be a player you could potentially at least explore building around. That did not work. I no. don't believe he <laughs> gelled very well with uh, with Brad Stevens and the Celtics ended up shipping him out for Dwight Powell. This is to Dallas uh, for Brandon Wright, Jay Crowder, Jameer Nelson and draft picks. And the Celtics also received that first round pick that we mentioned earlier, who I believe drafted Yabu. Yabu. Uh, yeah, it was Yabu. And a second rounder in 2016, as well as a $12.9 million uh, trade exception. So basically, they shipped, it, shipped, shipped him off rather uh, for change. It seemed like nothing at the time, but obviously Jay Crowder went on to be a, a key starter and rotational piece uh, for years to come. And it allowed us to um, enact basically a cultural reset, which maybe we didn't realize was super necessary at the time. Totally was. And it's all blue. Well, not all blue skies from there, but uh, <laughs> things got Pretty better. Close, from there. Though. Yeah. yeah, things got a lot better from there. That was such a bizarre year, dude. Like Rondo hunting all those assists. I remember he like wouldn't take layups and would pass yeah. it off, even though he's wide open. <laughs> Why? Like, just I just think as a giant middle finger, like so Brad and Carlisle, I think are similar in that they like, you know, they have a system, like a very specific system that you should be running. Um, and Rondo doesn't play basketball like that for better or worse. Like he's a genius, right? And sometimes the best thing to do is just roll the ball out to him and let him play make. Um, but Brad Stevens just isn't going to do that. And 
neither would Carlisle. And he was a disaster with Brad and he was a disaster. I mean, he wasn't a disaster with Brad. He still put up numbers, but it was just bizarre and we were terrible. And it was a great move. Crowder ended up being awesome. I wish we could have kept Dwight Powell. Um, yeah. we, I, we moved on from him really quick. I think he went back to Dallas immediately, but uh-huh. um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, good trade had to be done. It was sort mm. of the last, like you got to rip the bandaid off from that previous era. He was like the real last holdover and we finally, you know, moved on. What do you got next for us, Booty? Tatum's 51 against Philly. Oh, yeah. I don't know if, does that higher up for you or is it not on there? I didn't have it. Like, I think I, that was just encapsulated in eliminating Philly <laughs> yeah. from the playoffs. Fair so. enough. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to, I mean, it was just an incredible performance. I mean, like what we've talked about it enough, so I won't belabor the point, but yeah, that was really awesome. <laughs> it was really awesome. I fully agree. <laughs> uh, also Stanford with that label uh, and so many, so many uh, notable, awesome Tatum playoff games, which I don't, I don't have for the rest of my list. I've got like more holistic, like I don't want to spoil it, but I don't have individual games, but you know, given the recency of that, given the, the tying in with eliminating um, the motherfucking 76ers from the playoffs. I think it's a it's a worthy uh, bring up. All right, I've got signing Gordon Hayward and Al Horford different years in free agency. And the reason that I've coupled these together is because there, there has sort of been this ongoing narrative, both within the Celtics fan base and especially outside of it, that it's not a um, attractive destination for for free agents. And we have seen that be the case with letting Kevin Durant, for example, slip through our fingers, despite the notable display of Tom Brady and Kelly Olynyk arriving at that meeting in the Hamptons famously uh, years ago to try and convince him. Otherwise <laughs> um, the fact that Horford and Hayward, you know, have signed in free agency for the Celtics, I think helps us realize that there's a culture aspect to the Celtics that, um, that outplays the, the weather aspect essentially when compared to other cities like Miami and LA and that, that, you know, if we, we do have um, a good culture. We do have an excellent fan base and that's been a notable remark from anyone mm-hmm. who signed here or played here. Um, and I think it helps us as Celtics fans kind of like not feel like we're doomed, especially now where, you know, this would obviously be a great situation for Damian Lillard to rock up and compete for a championship, even if we did have to ship out, say, Jalen Brown as part of a trade. But despite that, he'd rather go to Miami, where he has probably a lesser chance of winning a championship just because you know, environmentally, you know, habitually living living in a place like Miami, it's just much more comfortable, which you, you can't blame the guy for. So to hear that you know, in recent years, we've had guys sign in Boston because of the culture, because of the that you know, winning standard, I think uh, helps me sleep at night as a Celtics fan. And while the Gordon Hayward thing didn't work out, uh, I think if Al Horford were to retire at the, you know, now we would look back on him as a Celtic. I think he's had a more meaningful Celtic career than he did as a Hawk, certainly as a Sixer or a OKC Thunder. Yeah. I think the Hawks kind of hate him from last. I remember the Hawks yeah. fans. Cause he was like, I went to Boston cause the fans are way better. <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty ruthless to say to your former team. And I absolutely love it, Al. Um, <laughs> I had, so I had Hayward on my honorable mentions just because like, we really only got one good season out of him. You know what I mean? And it kind of ended not, not ugly, but he declined an option and left. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of an F you to, to Boston. So, uh, but Horford, I had it a couple spots higher than, you because i think you say like oh it it showed us that boston has a culture 
Al Horford is that culture at this point. You know what I mean? Like his, he has his fingerprints all over the Jays, all over this whole team. And it was really just such a seismic shift to bring in Horford and pair him with it. Um, So yeah, Horford way up there for me. Hayward. It's just kind of, he was, I, I see why you combined them. That makes sense to me to combine them. But I think Hayward is a pretty solid step less important than Horford to me. Also, you remember that uh, the Heat were jockeying for for Hayward as well at that time. They had Indeed. those banners. I, I don't yeah. know what the street is called in Miami, but I guess it's as you drive towards their their front office building or their arena. And uh, they did not get him. And <laughs> as much as I like shitting on uh, the Sixers, I also love to to shit on Miami as well. So good fun. Maybe more so at this point. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's <laughs> just harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so my next one, I've got, this is boring because I've had to cross a few off. So I'm just, Tatum's 46 against Milwaukee, right? Uh, oh. Down 3-2. You, th- you know, you're the best team in basketball for half the season. Everyone's picking you to go to the finals or win the finals. And you lose at home in heartbreaking fashion with that horrible smart turnover. And everyone's like, oh, man, they're going to lose. The Celtics are going to choke. Chris Middleton's hurt. And then Tatum just shows up and drops 46 on Giannis's head, brings us back home, and we blow him out and end up making the finals. So I think that's, again, that's like an iconic Tatum game. You won't be able to talk about Jason Tatum's career without bringing that one up. Yeah, that's huge. And then just the sample size now of Tatum stepping up in huge key elimination games. Hopefully the next step is to step up in like the games prior to not put yourself in that position. Yes. (laughs) I'd love to see. But like we've seen enough of it now. Like just game six and game seven against Philly recently, um, you know, sprained his ankle in game seven against the Heat. So unfortunately, we didn't get to see it there. He came out with really good energy in that game. Um, you know, although it did happen in the first possession, so it's probably a bullshit. Statement. But he went to the rim and got fouled. That's what we yeah. want to see. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, of all the the criticism that that Tatum sort of takes throughout the regular season of not being a consistent shooter, you know, maybe turning the ball over more than you would like, he is has been very consistent in those moments, and that's more than you can say about a lot of his peers, like Luka Doncic, like Joel Embiid. Etc. So if Booker. I could pick, yeah, book it. If I could pick one trait for my superstar to have, it's like show up when we effing need you in the playoffs. Yeah. So um, that's huge. I have the what do I have next? Oh, the Kyrie it Crowder slash uh, Zizek trade, uh, which I've got a clip for right here. Michael Lee's back here with you on SportsCenter, continuing our breaking news coverage of a potential trade between the Celtics and the Cavs that would basically swap the starting point guard for the two teams that faced off in last year's Eastern Conference Finals. Kyrie Irving going to Boston, Isaiah Thomas going to Cleveland, along with some other players and a draft pick. You take a look at these two players in terms of their head-to-head stat production. You sort of have similar players when you go inside the box score in terms of points per game. Isaiah scored. So this was tough. This is maybe uh, in my life one of the more acute times of feeling like an avalanche of emotions from either end of the spectrum at the same time. And it's almost like a do you remember where you were when moment. I was, you know, like I've said many times on this pod, news breaks in the morning here in Australia, which would be the afternoon or the evening in the States. I was on the train 
going across the Sydney Harbour Bridge when I lived in North Sydney, going to work when the news broke as I was on the bridge. And it was like a guffaw moment. Like, like Isaiah Thomas had just given his heart and soul to the Celtics. You know, uh, his sister, China, passed away on the eve of the first round of the playoffs. While I was in Boston, I was in games one and two uh, in TD Garden for that series. A lot of emotion in the arena and so much gratitude and appreciation from the fans to Isaiah Thomas. I was in game six for the it's a wrap for these motherfuckers game uh, in Chicago. Not as much gratitude and appreciation from those fans in Chicago, but for me, certainly it was there was an outpouring of, of such. Um, and then for all of that to go down as it did, for Isaiah Thomas to finish top five in MVP voting and then for him to be ruthlessly traded for our enemy who had just eliminated us from the playoffs, Kyrie Irving. It was unreal. But, Spoonie, through all of that, I was like, it's fucking Kyrie Irving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of stoked right now. Uh, yeah. Do you remember how you felt at the time? Yeah, I remember like basically being like, oh, that's kind of sad, but it's Kyrie fucking Irving. Like I was all in on that trade. I thought it was a genius move. I mean, I figure you got to assume IT's injury. There was like reports bouncing back and forth about how bad it was. And some were saying it's really bad. Um, But that said, I have absolutely nothing related to Kyrie on my list. I just can't do it, Ben. If anything, he set the franchise back. I just can't do it, man. I fully agree. I have nothing else. Other than acquiring him was seismic and and notable. Yeah, it was. Uh, All right. Well, let's move on then. We don't want to talk about Kyrie. What else you got? Um, I have that rookie Tatum, that IT or not IT rather the rookie Tatum playoff run, um, which we kind of talked about already, but with Rozier and Jalen and old Al Horford, but not that old then, but we thought he was, but now he's really old. Um, Just absolutely coming out of nowhere. I remember I bet one of my friends is a Sixers fan. And I remember going into that, they were minus three thirty favorites to win that series, which is insane. And I was like, how about if the Celtics get it to game seven, you owe me or if they win you owe me and if philly wins in six or less i owe you and he's like okay deal and then they beat him in five <laughs> like, yeah. and it felt like a the, good deal for your friend at the time oh yeah he was all about <laughs> it but one of the, my favorite moments is when marcus morris does the 3-0 right in Embiid's face dude ah oh, it was just the best so um that was a great year that was a really fun run and it was like the first time tatum showing up on that stage it's like okay th- th- we've really got something with this dude just that even that late regular season run heading into the playoffs like the Jalen brown game winner off the shemi Ojale assist in yeah. utah that was incredible just awesome awesome run heading into that that playoff series or the playoff run rather um that's a really good one i um I've scrubbed off Isaiah Thomas from my list because we talked about it through the lens of the Isaiah Thomas acquisition trade, but probably just need to pause and acknowledge Isaiah Thomas as one of the most important aspects of the Celtics in the last 10 years. Again, I mentioned finishing fifth in MVP voting in 2017. Just the whole king of the fourth thing. Just the whole, like, who is this guy? How, what superpower does he have at 5'9 that he's like finishing, you know, offhand layups around Rudy Gobert and just carrying this team to, you know, the one seed at times. We have the number one defense despite him playing like, you know, 35 minutes plus a game, which nowadays just seems insane. Like, I don't know 
like if you could speak to this Spoonie as far as like the evolution of of NBA offenses, but it just feels like that would not be sustainable in this day and age. And yet it wasn't that long ago, but he was just such a a cultural figurehead for the Celtics. And even though, you know, championships weren't won, you know, never made it to the finals. Like he, if we hung banners for like, yeah, cultural pylons for this team, like Isaiah would be front and center. Yeah. I love that cultural pylons, Ben. That's beautiful, (laughs) man. Um, I think teams do a lot better job of, so, Everyone tried to attack IT at the point of attack, right? Like put him in the pick and roll and go at him. But he's actually not bad on ball. His size just hurts him, right? So Mm -hmm. what teams do now, and I think Cleveland absolutely brutalized us with in the playoffs, is running him off ball. And you can really get him all mixed up, get post-ups, get him in bad positions around the rim, um, switch, you know, get the uh, rim protectors out and IT down low, and then you're getting offensive rebounds. So there's ways to exploit it. Teams did not do it a ton um, in the regular season. They started to in the playoffs. So I, I, I agree. I don't think it would be tenable anymore, but I'm glad we snuck it in right before teams really figured out how to attack him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. Now that technically wasn't my turn, so I am going to take a turn. Okay. And there's at least one guy or girl out there listening being like, why have you not mentioned Kelly Olynyk? game seven, the game of his life against the Washington. Bradley will get it to the big man. Shot clock is down to four. Olynyk goes to work. Porter there defensively. Olynyk gets the roll. Ah. Thomas, the jab step. Olenek, a three. Oh, Kelly Olenek! The game of his life! What can you say? Makes what no can sense. You say? <laughs> I mean, I have drafting Kelly Olenek as number one on my list, so we'll get to him. But. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we need to expand on this. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Fun times, very fun, fun game, and a, the sort of the cherry on top of what was a fun run. Because, like, I don't know about you, but I had zero hope going into that Cleveland series. I was like, "All right, good season, boys. Oh, yeah. Time to pack it in." Yeah. I, th- I had very little hope going into the Washington series. Yeah. I think that's what made that whole stretch so enjoyable. I mean, it, it yeah. goes back to the whole expectations thing that we always talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so I've got this one: the bubble playoff run. Like we were talking about like Kemba proof of concept with the Jays on the wing and getting to the Eastern Conference finals with those guys at like 22 and 23 or 21 and 22, especially. Especially with Gordon Hayward getting hurt and like Kemba kind of really being on one leg at times, you're completely led by your two young stars, Brad Wanamaker's like your second guy off the bench and they still got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so I think, like, goes back to that idea, the proof of concept. Like, they proved it in the bubble that you can build a championship-level team around these two guys. And I just think that's really, really important for our decision-making from that point on. Yeah, the OG Ananobi, was it the game three over Taco Falls outstretched hand? Like, the most outstretched <laughs> of hands in humanity. It's an open that hand. <laughs> and then the, the fight back to, like, still win it in seven despite mm-hmm. almost going up 3-0. The, I just I remember the Kemba Walker bounce pass to Daniel Tice, just the play prior to the OG mm-hmm. shot was, like, an underrated play that's also... Yeah in limbo i've got that word now queued up um (laughs) because we lost that game 
uh, yeah, very, very stressful playoff run there. Um, and, and just weird vibes given the, the bubble. But mm-hmm. um, I, I bought that book recently. I think it's by Ben Golliver. I hope I've got the author right about um, just the NBA bubble and the logistics behind it. Um, still reading breaks of the game, though, so I haven't gotten to it. But I'm, I'm looking forward to, to cracking that one open. But uh, nice. yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'll just put, moving on, drafting the Jays. Um, pretty big deal. I think as uh, I run some clips here of, of Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum on draft nights, on their respective draft nights, you know, with the, this whole discussion being centered around what came out of, um, you know, beyond the, the Brooklyn trade, the, these are the two major pieces of that. Like, you know, ultimately it was worthwhile trading Paul Pierce and Kevin Gunnett because we got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, uh, Pretty amazing, uh, and if you look at the reactions to the the Nets trade at the time, everyone was shaking their heads uh, from Boston's perspective. Bill Simmons, most notably, just like, "What is going on? Why would we make this trade?" And then to to look back now, ten years on, and be like, "Well, we've got these two all NBA players who pair quite well together, who have made the finals, which I'm sure we'll get to, who have dueled in a very entertaining manner." in the all-star game more than once on opposing teams. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun as cookie Wayne's foodies cat makes an appearance. Uh, if you're marking off your first of the floor bingo card there, um, just of, of everything from the last 10 years, watching these guys be drafted, grow up and flourish as foodie just struggles massively with the cat there, uh, watching these guys flourish and become who they are as people. And as uh, all NBA players has maybe been the most enjoyable and fulfilling part of my like sports fandom in my life so far. And I don't think that I'm over exaggerating there. Uh, how, how is this not one for you? Cause I have drafting Jason Tatum as number one on my list. I think that's right. by far the most important thing that's happened since the Brooklyn so how are these guys not one, Ben? Like you just said I mean, it. That's like <laughs> I'm getting close to the end of my list. I've got okay, a few right. more, but um, I think it's what these guys went on to do, and we've still got a few things to get okay, to. Okay, all right, I like higher that. in my list. Um, but this is certainly the starting point. Um, so interesting. But I think we're we're both circling in on our, our top yeah. points. I think by the sound of us, we've both got a few more to go. So what have you got next, B? Okay, so I have drafting Marcus Smart next. Oh, nice. A foundational piece of, you know, this new era of Celtics basketball. We painfully just traded him. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you talk about culture setters for better or worse. Marcus was the culture for a long time on this team. He's never missed the playoffs in his entire NBA career. And I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Like Marcus Smart plays winning basketball. He shows up in the playoffs. He loved love the city. He's the awesome in the community. So just, I think a really, really important piece to the, to the Celtics and to Celtics history, despite not getting over the hump and winning the finals. But just for the record, I did have Tatum after him on my list. So, <laughs> uh, I, I think there's going to be a few contentious points. Like I, you, you had some important stuff and then I hit you with the, the Jeff Green 2013 game winner. <laughs> so that's what it's all about. It's all a lot of fun. Yeah. Here, but let, let us know in the comments, you know, what you think and, and how you feel about this uh, very uh, disjointed draft <laughs> reverse ranking, unorganized, spoke about the day before situation we've got going on here. I'll, I'll piggyback off this and then I'll take another turn just in the interest of time. So I had Marcus Smart winning Depoy in 2022. All right. 
So the second Celtic to win it, so KG won it in 2008, the first guard since Gary Payton in 1996. Smart in that year ranked third in steals among all players, fourth in loose balls recovered, 10th in charges and deflections, and he led the Celtics' uh, number one ranked defense with a defense rating of 106.2, which is just uh, insane. And a very, very good offensive point guard under Ime Odoka as well. Um, so let me just piggyback a couple on top of that. Uh, and I'm just going to attempt to sandwich a few things here. So I'll start with the downside. And these, these are both coaching related. So the downside, the Ime Udoka situation, which I think we may not yet realize or maybe only just becoming to realize, depending on how the first half of this season goes, how much of an important seismic thing that could end up being. You know, listening to... And this is probably what this is heavily influenced by listening to Grant Williams. He did two podcasts. He did Theo Pinson's podcast and he did JJ Reddick's podcast all within the last week. And he talked about the differences between Ime Udoka and Joe Mazzulla. And if you can listen to that and like take the situational elements out of that and just like listen to it from the perspective of like, here's what I think about Coach A and here's what I think about Coach B. Coach A sounds a lot better. Ime Odoka sounds in theory like a much better coach as far as like how he empowered his players and guys like Marcus Smart and Grant Williams really, really succeeded around him while the Jays were able to sort of have the freedom to just continue doing what they can do regardless of leadership because they're just that talented. And that sounded like puzzle pieces fitting together in a much more harmonious way than what we've seen so far with Joe Mazzulla. And then, you know, you've got to go on and, and call out all the stuff about Joe Mazzulla being thrust into the situation a week before the season started and all of that. So I acknowledge all of that. But I, I worry that the Emei Doka situation might end up long-term be something that we look back on and be like, oh, like we had it. We made the finals. And then Udoka, you know... He did his dirty. He did the players yeah. dirty, did the fans dirty. Really hate that guy now because we yeah. just had a good thing going. And, you know, there's more people out there within the Celtics organization who justifiably hate him a lot more than I could ever imagine doing so. And that's rightfully so. But yeah, I worry how seismic a thing that could be uh, looking back on. So the Emeo Doka situation. The other thing is hiring brad stevens that's next for me as well yeah this is like this is actually second in my list of the most important celtics happenings in the last 10 years hiring brad stevens i do have a little clip here of a very fresh-faced young brad stevens being interviewed uh, on his first media appearance since being hired by the obviously it's an it's an honor and a and a a privilege to be here um you know i I certainly have a lot of thanks to dole out um starting with my family and, and Brady and Kinsley and, and my mom are upstairs watching this and, and Tracy as well and um, mentioned that she is my attorney and for those of you who haven't heard me say this before, I'm the only coach in the country that pays 100% to his agent. <laughs> so that's the way that that works and, and has always worked. So child, absolute child, baby face, Brad Stevens. He's younger there than I think you and I are now, Spoonie, which is a little bit terrifying. Oh, man, yeah. So the, the importance of the Brad Stevens hiring. So I think he is now the backbone of Celtics culture. And you only have to look at his interview when he was hired as uh, president of basketball operations, where he just harped on about Celtics culture and wanting to win it for the Celtics and their fans. And yes, they go into that stuff with like an idea of what they need to say to appease the fan base, but he really, it felt heartfelt and it felt like he kind of got 
what Celtics like get out of their relationship. Sorry, Celtics fans get out of their relationship with the team. Going back a few years, the Hayward connection, obviously that ended up being a factor in what ultimately didn't work out. But at the time, it was the tipping point for us acquiring Gordon Hayward. And then just smaller things like Doc Rivers being traded to the Clippers for a first round pick. (laughs) which is insane. And then Kevin O'Connor, who was writing for Celtics blog at the time of the hiring of Brad Stevens, wrote, quote, Stevens is known for implementing complicated defensive schemes and has spent a great deal of time using analytics at Butler. And so it was this huge shift from the Doc Rivers, like Ubuntu, I know you want to win, but you got to do it together. Think of like, yeah, I know you want to win. And like, here's the numbers to back up like our approach here, guys. So let's, let's maybe try this. So huge. Yeah, Brad. It's Brad's way up there. I only have two left, um, and they're basically the same thing. But yeah, I had Brad just before drafting Jalen Brown and drafting Jason Tatum um, on my list. So huge, great coach, incredible coach, and maybe kind of carving a better resume as the president of basketball operations. I mean, he's really not He's made very few false steps in his role as the president. So we will see. He just made a massive step that like, I don't know if his job will be on the line if it goes poorly, but this is a big gamble with the poor Zingus trade. So Brad is not afraid to make moves, right? I was afraid he might be a little too conservative as the president. Mm -hmm. It is the complete opposite. (laughs) I think it's just like almost 10 years of like brutal frustration of the personnel that he had to coach that he's like just going in all guns blazing as the the man pulling the trigger on the trades there. Um, Spoonie, I sandwiched a couple together there. So I'll let you take uh, the final one here. Yeah. So these are basically the same thing, but I had them separately. So the first one is the run to the finals. Um, I think it's just very, very rare for your NBA team to make the finals. It really, unless you have LeBron or Curry, it really does not happen that much. It has not happened much for the Celtics in my lifetime. That is, I mean, I think I was alive for a couple in the 80s, but really my living memory, it has happened three times and I will cherish every time it happens. So it was just really cool to be in the finals. But also, I added very specifically game three of the NBA finals. You know, you and I were there. We've talked about it on the pod. So I won't, you know, get into too much detail, but like walking out of the garden up to one, just like with all the hope in the world and the expectation we were going to win the NBA finals was like literally one of the best days of my life, um, mm-hmm. bar some real seismic life-changing stuff like having a kid um, <laughs> but it's way yeah. up there it's way up yeah. there um and it was just it was a crazy run uh you know everybody stepped up at different times and then they just kind of ran out of gas after that game three but that is something that i will remember for the rest of my life so way yeah. up there uh, and you can check that out on our YouTube channel as well. There's a vlog style video, you know, as I was just in the early stages of figuring out like video editing and, and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a little bit rough, but it's a good sort of uh, encapsulation of, uh, of me and Spoonie's uh, Game 3 uh, experience and my sort of broader experience visiting Boston at that time. Um, fully agree. Game 3 of the finals. Just probably the peak, right? As far as like it was kind of all like downhill in a bad way from yes. there. I, w- I was at Game 4. I was sitting behind the Warriors bench. I've spoken about this on the podcast as well, so I'll be brief. And we were up nine-ish in the fourth quarter, and the vibe around the garden was like, we're about to go back to Golden State, to San Fran, up 3-1. Like, this is in the bag. And then 
I just remember watching so close, so firsthand Steph Curry do what he did. And, you know, I talked about um, like the duality of emotions with the Isaiah Thomas trade and, and Kyrie Irving before watching that game as a Celtics fan, knowing what was going to happen before it happened. But as a basketball fan, watching Steph Curry go completely out of his mind and win that game solo was like, I, I was able to actually step outside of myself and appreciate what Steph Curry was doing in that time, just because it was so insane on that stage on the road, but also ultimately brutal. And I think it took me a while to sort of like recover from that and like figure out like how to say that and how I felt about it. Um, but yeah, I had just the Celtics making the finals because yeah. as far as like a highlight and something to celebrate, watching Al Horford sort of pound the floor, having finally gotten over that that sort of hump in his career was huge. Watching Jason Tatum win the inaugural Larry Bird MVP trophy. And now with Smart gone, just watching Marcus Smart and the Jays like hug and celebrate in that that trophy ceremony, like that's just something that we're going to, you know, uh, love um, and cherish for years to come. So I think that's us at the end of our lists, Spoonie. I think we've culminated in the Celtics basically making the finals, which I think is accurate. That's that's the culmination so far. Hopefully not ultimately in the Brad Stevens P boy uh P boy president of basketball operations. Pobo, thank you. P boy. I don't know where P-boy. I got that from. Whoa. <laughs> Pobo era and the Jays, of course. So hopefully it's not the uh, ultimate culmination, but uh, certainly the culmination of this podcast. Were there any uh, honorable mentions, Spoonie, that we didn't get to? I, I a lot of what you had were on the honorable mentions for me. Likewise. So yeah, nothing I can really think of off the top of my head. I guess um low points, Aaron Neesmith getting traded. You know, I just yeah. saw him in that video for a second. So seismic shift. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we never we haven't made the final since. So <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. but yeah, no, I can't I can't think of much to be to be honest with you, man. Um I think we, that was a pretty good list. I think we hit just about everything. D- like depending on how you feel about Kyrie. Because the, you could like the S my D era, like the seventeen and two ripping that off. But the, yeah, I'm with I'm with you, Ben. I'm with you. Yeah. It's all in hindsight, right? Yeah. At the time, you'd be like, "This is amazing. We love this guy." You know, anti-establishment, and like, "Oh, hang on a second, backpedal a little bit. Let's step away from associating with this man." Uh, cool. All right, that's going to do it for this one. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's just a classic off-season pod yeah. in a typical first of the floor fashion. We'll be back towards the end of the week and poised, as always, to jump on if any major news does occur. If you enjoyed the show, help us fight the algorithm. Like, comment, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Wayne Spoonie, love your work, mate. Until next time. <laughs>